Yes, the best is yet to come. We'll finally have victory over the Antichrist and the false prophets, and we'll have victory over suffering and persecution. We'll finally have victory over Rome. We'll finally have victory over Babylon and the kings of this earth. We'll have victory over the one world government and all the false religions. We will have victory over pain and suffering and trials and tears. We will finally have victory over cancer and disease, death, dying, sin, and the grave. When Jesus returns, it's going to be a celebration of all celebrations. If you are saved, we can rejoice in the good news. If you are not, stay with us as Dudley shares God's promises fulfilled in Revelation 19. Next, as we lift up Jesus. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who is Jesus or what does it mean to be saved? How about questions like, what is eternity? Or is there a real God and where is he when I'm really suffering? These are just some of the topics we explore every day on this program. In these challenging times, we believe that God's word is the source to all our answers. So if you can, get out your Bibles and let's join Pastor Dudley right now with his message for us today. At the beginning of World War II, the Philippines were about to fall to the Japanese, and General Douglas MacArthur was ordered by President Roosevelt to be evacuated. And before he left, General MacArthur, he made a promise to the Philippine people. He said, I shall return. And because of the complexity of the war, it took some three years for him to fulfill that promise. But eventually, on October 22nd, 1944, General Douglas MacArthur walked ashore upon the Philippines and declared, I have returned. It was a promise that he intended to fulfill, and he literally fulfilled it. Likewise, 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a similar promise. We actually saw the words in Revelation 3 at the start of this series. This was 2,000 years ago. John's writing a letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And Jesus says the words in Revelation 3 verse 11. He says, I am coming soon. Now, Revelation 19 is going to tell us exactly what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ returns. So I hope you enjoy this today. Number one, it's going to be a festive occasion. When Jesus returns, for those of us that are saved, it's going to be a festive occasion. Revelation 19, the first six verses, I'm not going to read through it, but I want you to notice that the word hallelujah is in there four times. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. If you have your own Bible, you might circle, find those four words. One's in verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 6. I can only imagine the joy and the happiness when Jesus Christ returns. Things were so bad when those seven bold judgments were happening, but all of a sudden the ultimate battle has been won, and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. There's going to be a lot of shouting and a lot of hallelujahs when Jesus Christ returns. Imagine the celebration when Jesus Christ returns. We will finally have victory over that red dragon. We'll finally have victory over the Antichrist and the false prophets, and we'll have victory over suffering and persecution. 
We'll finally have victory over Rome. We'll finally have victory over Babylon and the kings of this earth. We'll have victory over the one world government and all the false religions. We will have victory over pain and suffering and trials and tears. We will finally have victory over cancer and disease, death, dying, sin, and the grave. When Jesus returns, it's going to be a celebration of all celebrations. Now, I'm going to show you something. If you were here with us last week, this verse looks almost strange. Look at chapter 19, verse 7. It talks about a wedding feast. I want you to write that down. It talks about a wedding feast. Do you remember last week, people covered in sores, walking around in darkness, the earthquake of all earthquake? And this, this week, we're at a wedding, a wedding feast. Look what it says in verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give God glory. Why? Why would we do that? Because the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride, which is, I don't know if you know this, but the bride is the church, has made herself ready. The word church in the Greek, it's the word ekklesia. And the word ekklesia is a, it's the called out assembly. That's what the word church means. I know you have crazy thoughts of what the church is, but the church is an assembly of those who've named the name of Jesus Christ. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he's coming back for the church or his bride. Those of us who have named Jesus and we gather uh, from a week to week basis to worship and praise God uh, one day a week, it's the Sabbath, and then the rest of the week, we're out being the salt and the light of the world, right? That's who he's coming back for. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus actually tells a parable about a wedding banquet. It's a metaphor about a king, which of course is his father, who prepares a lavish wedding banquet for his son, only to be humiliated by all the people who were invited and chose not to come. Symbolic of God preparing this wedding banquet and inviting the entire world to come and be a part of it, and so many people have rejected him. But the story ends with someone sneaking in, and they they don't have the wedding clothes. They, They weren't invited, and they didn't know the bride. They didn't know the groom, and they just snuck in. It's like the first wedding crasher ever. And the Bible says they didn't have the proper attire on. And so the king, and pay attention to these words, he says, take that guy and throw him outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the point is, and I want you to write this down, and nobody's sneaking into heaven. The only people getting in. You have to know who the bridegroom, you have to know the lamb, you have to know Jesus Christ. You have to have the right clothes on. What are you talking about? The Bible talks about when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we then get what's called our robes of righteousness. It's not our own righteousness. It's his righteousness. Look at verse 8 in your Bible. It says that fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And verse 9 reads that the angel said to me, I want you to write these words down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he added, these are the true words of God. In other words, you better pay attention to this. 
When these seven bold judgments are unleashed, I know it was tough listening to the sermon last week, but one day Jesus Christ is going to return, and when he comes back, we're going to have a wedding banquet for all of you who've accepted his invitation, and you're wearing your robes of righteousness, and at that moment, we're going to have a wedding celebration because the, 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 the groom has come to gather up the bride. And all God's people said. The second thing, write this down. When Jesus Christ returns, it's not, that's not just a promise of his. It's a warning to all of us. You see, for some of us, when we hear the words, I'm coming soon or I will return, we view that as a promise. And I, I have to just add this. This is free, okay? If Jesus makes a promise, he's going to keep his promise. If Jesus says he's going to do something, you can take that to the bank. You can bet the entire farm. If Jesus ever tells you something, it's going to come true. If Jesus says, hey, I will return, I'm coming soon, guess what? He is going to fulfill that promise. But if you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you hear these words, I'm coming soon, uh, that's more than just a promise. That is a warning to you to get ready because he is coming again. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. If you have your own Bible, you can circle that passage. And what I want you to know, and and I'm glad you're here today, is that this portion is the heart and soul of the entire book of Revelation when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And our theme this year is the the word supernatural. And that's why we're looking at Revelation, because we want to see the supernatural moment when Jesus Christ returns. The first time Jesus Christ came, write this down, he came to bring salvation. The next time he comes, he's coming to bring judgment. You say, what does that mean? That means 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came the first time and he died on the cross, he died on that cross to provide salvation and to offer every one of you an invitation to come and be a part of that wedding banquet when he returns. And he gives you an opportunity to get on your wedding garments, your wedding clothes, those robes of righteousness, Jesus died on the cross. The first time he came was to provide salvation. But the second time, the next time you hear his voice, he's coming to bring judgment. Look at verse 11. John said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a what color horse? A white horse. Now, i got to say this is very important if if you've missed this series up to this point. This is a different person than the guy riding the white horse back in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, it was the first of the the judgments. It was the seal judgments. And the very first seal was the guy that rode in on a white horse. We have the four horsemen. We have the white horse. There was a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and and a pale green horse. And they each stood for something. And some people look at the guy riding the white horse in Revelation chapter 6 and think, think that that's Jesus. No, that was someone pretending to be Jesus. That was a false hope. That was the false Messiah. The guy riding in today on Revelation chapter 19, he's the real deal. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what the Bible says. Look at verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true, and with justice, everybody say justice, with justice he judges and makes war. We find later in verse 13, we won't read it, but if you look in your Bibles, that he's wearing, when he comes in on this horse, the Bible says his robe is dripped in blood. What does that mean? Well, that blood either symbolizes the blood that was shed when he was on the cross, signifying that he's the Savior of the world, or that blood is representative of 
when he just unleashed those seven bold judgments and it's from the wrath it's from the wrath that was unleashed it came up from when those seven bowls either way it, it, he is he is both savior and judge riding in on that white horse now we have four names pay attention number 1 he's faithful and true everybody say faithful and true that's in verse 11 and that simply means that there's no falsehood in him so he stands in stark contrast to the devil who is a liar and the father of all lies. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. Have you ever lied? Do you know anyone who's ever lied? Anyone who speaks untruth? Every lie, every lie that's ever been told, black lie, white lie, technicolor lie, big lie, little lie, uh, average lie, all lies come from the father of all liars. The, the devil is the liar and the father of all liars. And you hold that up to contrast to who, whose name is written on this, this person who comes riding in on a white horse, the first name that's given to him. He's faithful and true, which means there is no falsehood in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Number two, it says he has an unknown name. What is that? Look at verse 12. I thought we knew all of his names. No, according to the Bible, he's got a name that's only known by him. What is the significance of that? First of all, it means that we all have a name, and I can say, hey, come here or go there, or if there's a competition, we beat you or we conquered you, and we say the name. He's got a name that's higher than any other name. He's got a name that no other person knows except him, and it speaks to the dimensions of God that his ways are so much greater than our ways. And, I, I, and I, I know we don't know exactly what that means, but it, it, it's just something about his name. He's got some name that no one knows except him, and that's because he's God. Amen? Number three, his name is the Word of God. We find that in verse 13. It says, his name. What is your name? What is your name? He said, my name, my name is the Word of God. That's a strange name. No, that's his name. His name is the Word of God. And it reminds me of John 1.1. 1, 1. When the writer of John, which is John, who wrote John and Revelation, says these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's just another, it's another reminder when Jesus Christ returns, he will judge according to the Word of God. It's not, it, well, I, I was taught this, or this is what my church taught, or this is what my, no, his name is the word of God. When he rules, when he reigns, when he judges, it will be based on the truth found in the word of God. I love in Revelation 19 that John ties the guy riding in on the white horse to the guy who's in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the fourth name that he has there in verse 16 there it is that they actually they stick it out there in the text it says that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords which answers a single question what question does that answer the question is this who is in charge if you've been with us from the beginning we've looked at all these battles we've had epic battles we've had cosmic battles we've had heavenly battles we've had angels warring against angels we've had satan and the antichrist trying to destroy the world we have the false prophet and the harlot trying to deceive the world and it all it all bids to ask us this question well who is in all these battles who is it that's in charge who's in charge 
John says the one that's riding in on the white horse, his robe is dripped in blood. He's the one who rules the nations. He is the one who's faithful and true. He's the one who is the word of God. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is going to come again. And if you're saved here today, those words I shall return are a promise. And we can't wait for that to happen. But for those who are not saved here today, those words are a warning of judgment. The third thing that I see, write this down. When he returns, he returns as the undisputed eternal champion of the universe. I want you to write the word eternal in there. You know, all of our champions, they rule from year to year. Next year, there'll be another national champion. Year after that, there'll be another national champion. You can't remember who won this year. Jesus is the undisputed, all-time, eternal champion of the universe. When he returns, he defeats everything in this world. Uh, Then, second of all, in chapter 19, he defeats the two beasts. That's two-thirds of the unholy trinity. Do you remember the unholy trinity? You've got the dragon or Satan, and then you've got the beast of the earth and the beast of the sea the Antichrist and the false prophet who works on behalf of the Antichrist. In chapters 19, he defeats two of the three. Now, where's that third guy? Where's the, where's the devil? He's still running around. He's going to get his due in chapter 20. But in chapter 19, chapter 18, he defeats Babylon. Chapter 19, he defeats two of the three. Look at verse 19. He says, Then I saw the beast. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. Verse 20. But the beast was what? He was captured. And with him who? The false prophet. Who's the false prophet? He's the one working for the beast. He had performed the miraculous signs. And the next part of verse 20 says it was all those, uh, those miraculous signs he had deluded, which is the word deceived. He had deceived all of, those, all of those who had received the mark of the beast and who had worshiped his image. And the two, say the word two, watch this, the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So two of them are gone. But where's that third guy? He's still out there. That's the third thing he defeats. I want you to write this down. In chapter 20, he defeats Satan. You say, that's in the Bible? Yes. And I'm not supposed to be talking about chapter 20 this week, but I just want to show you some verses. Look at verse 10. It says, and the devil. Say, and the devil. And the devil who deceived them was also thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. You say, is that the same lake? that the beast and the false prophet were thrown into? Uh, Yes. How do you know that? Because that's what it says in the Bible. Look, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had also been thrown. And there they were tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Where are we? We're in heaven where we live forever and ever and ever. And there in that fiery lake where they live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then finally, write this down. Now, don't lose me here. 
He not only defeats Babylon, he not only defeats the two beasts, he not only defeats Satan, he he defeats all those who have lived for them. It's those people who have lived for the devil. It's those people who have lived for the Antichrist. It's those people who have followed the false religions of the world. I want you to look at verse 12. I want to read, read through this. I want you to see this. He says, and then I saw the dead. Everybody say dead. Great and small. That means famous people and not so famous people. Uh, He saw the dead standing before the throne. Every person on this planet will one day stand before the throne. And the Bible says the books were open. What books are those? Well, God has books where he's kept track of everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought. Many of you are worried about Google tracking you. You need to be worried about the books that God has. And then the Bible says another book is a, what is this book? Well, it says this book is called the book of life. What is the book of life? It's mentioned six times in the book of Revelation. The book of life is the book that God has kept track from the very beginning of time, from Adam and Eve, from every single person who's ever been born on planet earth, He's kept a, a record of every single person who's ever become a Christian, who's ever named the name of Jesus Christ. He's written your name down in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. So one day the dead will stand before the throne. He's going to open all the books. He's going to see everything you've ever done, said, or thought. But then he's got another book called the Book of Life. And in that book, he, he's going to know who's saved and who isn't saved And the end of verse 12 says that the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 3, verse 13, then the sea gave up their dead. Who's that? Those are people that died at sea, either at war or they were on a cruise to Alaska and they just slipped off. Or we had uh, recently Osama bin Laden. We dumped his body at sea. The Bible says that the sea gave up their dead and the death in Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Verse 14 reads, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And here it is, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, every man, woman, boy, girl on this planet will have to stand and announce that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. If you're saved, write this down. If you're saved... Oh, you get to rejoice. How, how many of you have heard of John 3.16? Oh, I know that one. Pastor, I know John 3.16. Do you know John 3.29? It says that the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, when those skies split open and Jesus Christ comes running in on his white horse and you hear all of heaven shouting hallelujah 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 for those of us that are saved and we see him and hear his voice oh we will have a time of celebration it's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated. 
and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. We live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world. We see about 10,000 messages every day. We even touch our phones about 2,000 times a day. We're literally being overwhelmed with information. That's why there's no better time than right now for Dudley Rutherford's remarkable new book, One Thing, Rediscover a Simpler Faith in Our Complicated World. In this timely book, Pastor Dudley invites you to open your Bible and look closely at seven key passages of Scripture where you'll find the beautifully uncomplicated phrase, One Thing. These Scriptures will quiet all the noise that you're hearing and call you back to a simpler faith. Dudley Rutherford has discovered the secret of how to focus our lives on the one thing that matters. What if you could find that simplicity? It's waiting out there, and this is your roadmap to freedom. Contact Lift Up Jesus today and get your copy of One Thing, the book that could finally change everything. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at this same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. 